Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. When I went away to college, they, uh, you know, they have this new student orientation. And uh, in one of the events that, uh, that we did was, was kind of an auto scavenger hunt where uh, we had lists of different places to visit. This was up in, up in San Francisco, and so we were driving up and around the hills, and we're following the clues uh, and collecting uh, d- different little tidbits about the city. And then ultimately, uh, we ended up at the home of, of one of the professors where they, uh, where they put on a spread to welcome the new students. And we had a great time. All except for Brian Murphy and the students that were in his car. As we, as we left campus, uh, Brian locked onto uh, one of the other students' cars, and rather than follow the clues, he followed that car. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that car took him all over the place. And he said at one point, it became, it became pretty clear that the car was trying to lose him. But he was, he was not to, to, to be lost. And so he followed this person, and the, and the person took a sharp right, and Brian took a sharp right, and then he zipped down the road and, and curved back around, and, and boy, Brian was right on his bumper. And finally, he thought, this, well, this has got to end pretty soon. And so finally, the car did, in fact, pull over, and Brian pulled over, and the guy jumped out of the car, practically freaking out, who are you and why are you following me? And it was somebody that Brian didn't know. He was following the wrong car. And and not only did he miss a wonderful party afterwards, he scared the daylights out of this poor person that he chased halfway around San Francisco. If you're going to play follow the leader, you better make sure that you're following the right leader. And every now and then, you need to stop and check just to make sure that you are where you need to be. Otherwise, you can find yourself terribly lost. And sometimes you take people with you when you find yourself lost. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. If you're using a Bible in the pew, it can be found on page 754. It's been over two years since I've been able to tell you that. John's Gospel really is a theological treatise into who Jesus is. And up to this point uh, in John's Gospel, in the the opening chapters, we get a a really clear picture of who Jesus is. As John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we read about John the baptizer who sees Jesus and points to him 
and declares to his followers, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then we encounter Nicodemus, who had every advantage that society had to offer an individual at that day. And he comes to Jesus by night to find out what it means to gain the kingdom of heaven. Jesus knows his heart. And even though he doesn't lead with that question, Jesus goes to the issue. And then we transition to the woman at the well, the exact opposite, the lowest of the low, an outcast among outcasts who doesn't come to Jesus. Jesus goes to her. He has to go through Samaria. And he encounters this woman and her life is changed and, and she proclaims the good news. This is a guy who knows everything about me. Come and check him out. Which is a little bit of a scary proposition. Anybody here want to meet someone that knows everything about you? Everything takes a twist when we come to the fifth chapter. And Jesus encounters that person at the, at the, at the pool. And I so appreciate uh, Pastor Jeremiah's take. I, I have to laugh because in the last two weeks we've had guest preachers, one by design, one not by design, and both of them said, we want to continue with what you're doing, Pastor. That's okay, well, this is where I am, working through Gospel of John, but we're doing a deep dive. We want to... <clears throat> We want to really take a hard look at who Jesus is. <clears throat> and as I listened to the sermons the last two weeks, I thought they were good sermons. But they weren't the sermons that I would have preached. Yeah? Huh. <laughs> but I so appreciated last week uh, Pastor Jeremiah drawing to my attention that, 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 that here's this, this person who had, who had been basically out of it for, what, 38 years. And Jesus brings the water to him. Jesus brings the healing power to him. He was unable. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And this represents in, God, in, in John's gospel a, a, a shift. The healing occurs. And when does it occur? On a Sabbath. And so Jesus tells the guy to pick up his mat and walk. And as he's carrying his mat and he's walking... He's confronted by the religious leaders of the day. Hey, what do you think you're doing? I'm only doing what I was told to do by the guy who healed me. Now, it'll never cease to amaze me uh, the reaction that this guy gets from the religious leaders of the day. It's like, you're that same guy? You've been healed? This is amazing doesn't even cross their minds. 
Hey, you can't carry your mat. I don't care who did what, when, where, why, or how. It's, it's the Sabbath day. You cannot do this. And so because Jesus did it on the Sabbath, the religious leaders of the day began to turn against him. And that's where we pick up the narrative in this fifth chapter, beginning with verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. I myself can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Folks, this is the deep end of the pool. Jesus is using their arguments and their understanding of the law to present himself to them as the great I am. People who say Jesus never claimed to be God have never read the gospel according to John. 
Because in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word dwelt among us. I and the Father are one. Later on, later on, one of the disciples will ask Jesus, when are you going to show us the Father? And Jesus says, I've been with you all this time and still you cannot see? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. It was because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath that the Jews persecuted him. How dare he do this on the Sabbath? Just to refresh your memories, we're looking at the fourth commandment that can be found in the 20th chapter of Exodus, where we read this. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is, the, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant nor your maidservant nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So the rabbis in the ancient world loved to sit around and pontificate and unpack and understand uh, who God is and how God works. And one of the questions that they wrestled with is, is God bound by his own commandments. Does God have to adhere to the Ten Commandments? And as they whittled their way through the conversation, they come down to the Sabbath. Does God have to abide by the Sabbath? Now, in trying to understand the Sabbath, by the way, uh, if you're, if you're, uh, I, I, I would be interested, you, you go back um, uh, in, into the uh, previous verses there uh, in chapter 5, verse, where is it, verse 10. It is the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. Uh, if you could quote me a chapter and verse on that, I would, I'd be appreciative there's no, there's no chapter or verse that says don't carry your mat on the Sabbath. But what they did as they worked through what it meant to be Sabbath observers, they came up with 39 different statements about what is and what is not work. And the 39th statement was you shall not relocate your property from one space to another on the Sabbath, for that constitutes work. But they took a step back, and they said, obviously, God is infinite in his domain. And do we really think that God ceased from all activity on the 
seventh day? Well, no. They determined that God did not cease from all his activities on the seventh day. He ceased from his activity of creating the universe. But he continues to work to sustain all that he has created. And so they determined amongst themselves that God should be exempt from following the fourth commandment. Because if God ceased to work, if God ceased to hold everything together, we would be gone in an instant. So God, by nature of who he is, gets a pass from the religious leaders. Isn't that thoughtful? But it's important for us to note that. Because they're attacking Jesus because he is working on the Sabbath. Listen again to the construct of how Jesus takes, and he knows what their understanding of the Sabbath is, to build his case to establish his own identity, who he is and why he's doing what it is that he's doing. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day. A point which they would not disagree. We recognize that God is at work each and every day up until this very point. My father is at work unto this very day, and I too am working. So there's the equation where Jesus is equating himself with his Father. I and the Father are one. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And it's important to continue reading there. Uh, uh, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he does. Now, step back a minute and let's go back to the pool. How many people were at that pool? We don't know. All all, all we know is that when Jesus asks the man, do you want to be healed? 
He says, I can't get there. There are too many people that get there before me. I've got no one to help me. So you've got this whole group of people who are hanging around <clears throat> waiting for the waters to be stirred so that they can be first in and get healed. And yet on that day, how many people does Jesus heal? Only one. Only one. Because Jesus doesn't do anything in and of his own initiative. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Now, there is a plan that is unfolding, and that plan is unfolding one step at a time, one life at a time. And there's no way that we're ever going to fully comprehend that this side of eternity. But what we must not do is think that God is present at our beck and call to do whatever we want him to do. And if he doesn't meet our expectations, somehow he has failed us. God did not send his son into the world to meet our expectations. He came into the world to save those who would believe. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show you even great he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father rises from the dead and gives them life, so the son the son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. We're, we're seeing a foreshadowing here. We're seeing a foreshadowing of the final day of judgment. And that day will come. When Christ returns, and he will judge the quick and the dead. We read that in scripture. We know that from the Apostles' Creed. That's coming in the future. Jesus is giving them a preview of what is to come with the knowledge that judgment has passed from the Father to the Son. Now, going back to verse uh, 17 of chapter 3, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And he did not. But we need to remember that the promise is that Christ would come not once, but twice. So in this first go-around, his job is not to judge. His job is to show us how to live in a right relationship with God and one another according to the precepts that God has given to us while we punctuate that with grace and mercy. That was the purpose of the first coming. And then he ascended up into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. Father. 
From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, but not yet. It is the already, but not yet. But Jesus is telling them that the time will come. You will see the resurrection of the dead. And ultimately, all those who are in the grave will hear his voice. I tell you the truth. I'm reading it verse 24 now. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and now has come. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Could Jesus be referring to those who were dead in their sins? I think so. It is a message of hope that Jesus is bringing. Not a message of legalism, but a message of hope. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. An interesting title. Jesus uses that title to refer to himself. It seems to be his favorite title, the Son of Man. He doesn't refer to himself as the Son of God outright very often. But the Son of Man is a phrase that is used over and over again. And it's a technical term. And we encounter, we encounter that term in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, in the seventh chapter, we read this. Daniel writes of a vision that he has. In my vision at night, I looked, and there was before me one like the Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and, and people of every language worshipped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His, his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus in making this statement to the religious leaders of the day, is self-identifying with that messianic prophecy from Daniel. And you see it again through the book of Ezekiel. And Jesus uses this phrase, the Son of Man, throughout the Gospels, and we see it again in the book of Revelation. For it is the function of the Son of Man to stand in ultimate judgment of all of humanity. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. At this point, Jesus is speaking in third person. But then he shifts and begins speaking in first person. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. 
I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. There can be no doubt. And there was no doubt at the statements that Jesus was making, which is why they sought to kill him. Not merely because he was violating the Sabbath, but that he was self-identifying with the Father as the Son. Now, we can get hung up on that language of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and what it means to worship a trinity. But what we need to understand is that the language of Scripture is used to help us to understand because some of these concepts are beyond the confines of language. And Jesus does not want us to be like him. He wants us to be like the Father. And he points and defers beyond himself to that which we would understand as greater. The Father is greater than the Son. But in reality, as we pull all the pieces together, we see that the Father is the Son. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And dwelt among us. These verses, 28 and 29, do not be, a, how am I doing on time? Oh, I'm fine on time. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to condemn, to be condemned. It kind of almost, if you're not careful, sounds a little bit like works righteousness. If, you, if you're a do-gooder, then you're going to be raised to life. If you're a do-batter, well, you're going to be raised to condemnation. Is it, is it what we do? Or is it in whom we believe? And the answer to that question is yes. It is in whom we believe. But in whom we believe should dictate the deeds that we do. And I want to hold those, those verses carefully between verse 27 and 30. As he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. My judgment is just. 
Now, the religious leaders of the day, they were, they were all up into Jesus' business because he was not operating according to the constructs that they had set up and that they understood. This is what it means to be in a right relationship with God. And they had drawn a box. And that was a box that they had drawn around the law. The idea being that if you don't penetrate the box, you'll never violate the law. But what they've done is they've basically set up a litmus test that says, if you do this, you're okay by me. And if you fail to do this, well, then you're out. You have violated the sacred principles that we have set up. And we can look at that and we can say, man, I'm sure glad that I don't live in that day and age with all that legalism and whatnot. Really? How often do we fall into that same category? Wanting to take what does not belong to us, the right to judge, and make eternal pronouncements with regard to an individual's final address. Now, does that mean that, that we should not hold each other accountable? Does it mean that it doesn't matter how we live? Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? Why does God give us something like the Sabbath? Well, later on, Jesus will say it. We were not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us. And I would extrapolate that out to say that we were not created for the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments were created for us. That as we live within that moral and ethical framework, we thrive. We thrive. And we come together in community and, 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 and we grow in community and we pray with and for one another for a transformation that can occur in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we invite people into our lives because we can never see ourselves as others see us. Are you all familiar with Jahari's window? It's a, great, it's a great little paradigm. It was put together by two guys named Joe and Harry. And uh, really, so picture a square that's, that's divided into four quadrants. So you've got, you've got four quadrants here. And in this quadrant up here uh, is, is the public self. And I see it and you see it. So we both see the public self. But you take a step this way, and this is the blind self. You can see it, but I can't see it. So we have the public self that you see and I see, and then I have a blind self. We have a blind self that I cannot see, but you can see. But then if you go back over to the public self and go one down... There's a side that I can see, but you can't see. And we call that the hidden self. 
the hidden self. But then there's a side that you can't see and neither can I, and we call that the God only knows self. And here's the deal. The only way to discover the God only knows self is to be in a trusting relationship with someone with whom you can share your hidden self and be open to discovering what your blind self is. And as we live in faith community, as we hold each other accountable, and we are known, and we learn to know others, we discover that God only knows self. But that can only happen in community. I would never say that you had to belong to a faith community in order to be a follower of Jesus. But I have said and will continue to say that apart from a community of faith, we cannot grow. We need each other. Not to condemn, but to hold accountable. To make sure that we're not lying to ourselves. So that we can be open to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. But it all comes back to Micah 6.8, people. We are to be people who do good. <clears throat> and what does it mean to take a rest on the Sabbath? It means stop working. But it doesn't mean stop doing good. If you see a need and you're in a position to meet that need, then meet it. I don't care what day of the week it is. Because it's honoring to the Lord. And it's giving of yourself for no other reason than you can give of yourself. It's not self-serving. And I guess that might be a good definition of the work that we cease on the Sabbath. That which is self-serving. Take a break from being self-serving, but never take a break from serving others. Micah 6.8, to be just people who do good. You do the right thing because we can. And then love mercy. Love mercy. And walk humbly with God. In that, the law is fulfilled. And Jesus is the one who shows us how to do that. Yes, Jesus points to the Father. But I'm going to point you to Jesus because he is the Father. To see the Son is to see the Father. Because that which was in the beginning, which was with God and was God, has dwelt among us and given us a window, not only into who he is, but who we are and how we can function fully, abundantly in the kingdom of God each and every day. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. In life, we will always be following someone or something.
check and make sure you're following the right person. And the way you do that is to spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time getting to know this one who has revealed himself to us in the pages of Scripture in and through the Incarnation. The Word has become flesh and does dwell among us. May we learn from Jesus that our lives might be principled and yet full of grace and truth each and every day of our lives. That, my friends, is kingdom living at its best.